therapy side of, of yoga therapy is a therapeutic component that supports the individual in, in first of all, bringing awareness to their experience that they're having and then helping them to identify any changes or shifts that they're trying to make in life. And we do that through the lens of the body, which is different from some other forms of therapy, like talk therapy or cognitive therapy that are really using the mental component and, and mostly the talking and, and the dialogue to uncover some of those patterns, I get to use the body. So it's a cool, different route, different way in. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like the show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. Today, I am really excited about our guest and our topic. We're joined by Sarah Quintus, and we are diving into the many health benefits that people can receive from yoga therapy. Now, Sarah Quintus is a yoga therapist in a private practice based in Burlington, Vermont, where she works with individuals and with couples, both in person at her office and virtually nationwide. As a yoga therapist, Sarah combines her passion for integrative healing with her gifts of compassion, empathy, and deep presence to support her clients in reconnecting with the wisdom of their body to facilitate deep healing and transformational change. I think this is something you're going to be able to capture from her voice in the way she talks, and you're going to be able to feel the passion she has for the work that she does. It's an amazing episode, so I highly encourage you to listen to the end. Let's dive in and get started. Well, hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I have been Looking forward to this conversation, and I am just ex excited to learn more about what you're doing for the community and, and you know, just all the great things that, that you're providing for your patients. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation, and uh, I'm excited to share a little more about, yeah, about what I do and who it's for and all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, before we dive into the details, I'd love for our listeners just to learn a little bit more about, you know, you and your background and really, you know, what inspired you to become involved in yoga therapy, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I, I did not grow up with, with yoga in my life. I didn't really grow up with much spirituality either. So it was something that I had kind of found later in life. I actually stumbled into my first my first yoga class, it was my sophomore year in college, and I went with a girlfriend who, it was a Bikram yoga class, so anyone listening who's heard of Bikram, it's, it's very hot, 
it's long, 90 minutes. I think it's a hundred and gosh, 10 or 20 degrees. So it's really hot. And I got no warning of temperature or duration. And so I remember distinctly showing up in like a, a baggy long sleeve shirt and like basketball shorts to my knees. So everything was sticking to me and it was hot and uncomfortable. And I felt nauseous the whole time and it was really hard. And so it was a very humbling experience to say the least. And I I didn't really enjoy much about being in the class while I was there, but I remember so distinctly the feeling that I had after of just, it was like a clarity in my mind that I had never had before. I just felt this sense of like a clean, a clean slate mentally and energetically that was completely foreign to me. And so I kept going back for that feeling and I learned that there were other styles of yoga, so I didn't have to suffer <laughs> in the heat to reap the benefits of the practice, but that was kind of my first exposure to the practice. And then when I graduated from college, I went to the University of Vermont. I traveled to Nepal and was over there for four months by myself, did some solo traveling kind of cliche, but did a little bit of soul searching over there. And I found what yoga is in the East and that part of the world before, you know, without it having become so exercise based in the West. And, and I really fell in love with the philosophy of the practice and the roots of the practice. And it and it opened my eyes to all of these other benefits that I didn't really know of and how to apply it to life as opposed to just using it for physical benefits, which are also important, right? Get stronger, get more flexible. But the <clears throat> other components of the mindfulness were really really influential for me and then I about yoga therapy oh I was in I was in an airport coming back from a trip in Burlington airport and I found this brochure that said yoga therapy on it in the airport you know where they waiting for your luggage and I picked it up and I was like oh yoga and I thought it was a combination of yoga and physical therapy and I had had all this experience growing up with injuries and I, I thought for a long time that I was going to be a PT, go to PT school. So it's like, oh, I can combine yoga and physical therapy. And how cool that. So that's what I initially thought it was. But then I learned when I went onto the website and dove into it, that it, it's more um, therapy for our emotional self and our spiritual self and our mental self. So the physical body is kind of the way in, but it's not where we stop. It's where we start. So that was how I found yoga therapy was through a brochure in the airport. That's awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> I can't imagine. Maeve almost have been amazing too. I'm sure, you know, I, again, so many, so many things directing you to this, this one place and then it ends up being in the airport. Is it the Burlington airport? Was that what it was? That's yes. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. Well, so, so for those of, for our listeners who really may have heard of yoga, but don't really understand it. What's, and I know you mentioned already that there's different types of yoga, but what is yoga therapy? You know, how, how would you explain that to a lay person? So the, the practice of yoga therapy, think of it as a, as a healing modality, a holistic healing modality. And so I use the word holistic there because it allows us to serve and support all aspects of an individual. There's a method or, or a lens in yoga philosophy called the koshas. Koshas mean sheaths or coverings. And so it's this model of looking at an individual as having five different layers or five different sheaths of self. 
that are all covering and encasing around their truest version of self or the most kind of potent version of themselves. And so this layer or model of the koshas allows us to support them on a physical level, an energetic level, which is the breath, mental and emotional level, and spiritual level. So it helps us to access and, and be with all of these layers of a person. So it's, it's unique in that, in that point of view, for one. And then the, the yoga component of yoga therapy, you know, the word yoga means union, or it means to yoke yoke to bring to bring together and so when we think of yoga a lot of us will think of yoga and we'll think of the the postures right like touch your toes and do a down dog and do a word that's a very small part of the practice there are seven other components to the practice that are, are part of the union are part of the yoking and what we're really trying to unite our body and mind so it's just like a practice of bridging of bridging the two together and and the and the therapy side of, of yoga therapy is a therapeutic component that supports the individual in in first of all bringing awareness to their experience that they're having and then helping them to identify any changes or shifts that they're trying to make in life and we do that through the lens of the body which is different from some other forms of therapy like talk therapy or cognitive therapy that are really using you know, the mental component and, and mostly the talking and, and the dialogue to uncover some of those patterns, I get to use the body. So the cool, different route, different way in. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I think, you know, a lot of people, or when I would initially think of yoga, it's exactly that. You think of those positions and you think of like going to a, a big group class, you know, and everybody's kind of on board doing doing the same thing together but i know with your practices it's a little bit different it's more of an, an individualized approach do you mind talking a little bit more about you know what you do and how it's different from you know tr some of the traditional yoga practices that are out there yeah it's a great question because i think it can be can be confusing right and yoga therapy yeah. is a fairly new modality and it's a great question to have so I, I happen to be also a yoga teacher, so I do teach group classes as well. Not all yoga therapists are also group yoga class teachers. So some of my colleagues in, in my program came from different backgrounds. I had already come from a yoga background, so I infused a little more of those yogic elements. So when I'm showing up to teach a group class, I'm aware that there are many different bodies in the room many of which I may not know, I might not have met, I might, I'm likely not going to have awareness of their history with injury or anxiety or stress or even know what their goals are, why they're coming. So I have to approach a group class with a mindset of just being ready for, you know, however people are going to show up. And I also have a little bit of agenda, usually an agenda when I'm teaching a group class, I'm showing up with some sort of a loose plan of peak postures or sequences that I'm planning out intentionally really to make their bodies feel good. You know, I want them to feel good when they leave the class and I want them to feel, there's also usually an intention of helping them to feel a little more calmer. Most of us are walking around in bodies that are very revved up all the time. And so a group class, I'm usually helping them to, to bring that, bring that down a little bit. And then for yoga therapy, it's all one-on-one. -on -one. I also do, do couples work, so it's either with one person or with two people, but it allows me to 
completely dedicate and devote all of my attention and awareness and energy to what that body and that person is needing. And that allows me to get to know them in such a deeper way so that I can show up and meet them exactly where they're at, as opposed to me showing up with a group class and saying, okay, this is what we're doing today because I have something to teach you. And yoga therapy, I'm there to show up and facilitate an experience for them to learn from themselves that I'm, I'm holding the space for and I'm creating a container, hopefully, that they feel very safe in to do that exploration. But I want to support them in a level of self-inquiry that allows them to do some of that learning from themselves instead of me as a, as a teacher, quote unquote. That's awesome. And so do you find that different people benefit from different scenarios? Like do some people do better with yoga therapy and some people do better with the classes or do you, is it, is everybody different? What, what would you recommend for someone who's starting off? You know, would you, what would be your suggestion there? So I actually, I love working with people in yoga therapy who have never done yoga before and have never heard of yoga before because they're not showing up with any expectations. There's no preconceived notions. The yogis that I work with, they'll show up and they, they bring their yoga mat and show up with their yoga pants and they think that we're going to do like, <laughs> <laughs> and they're ready to be the good student and to follow what I'm telling them to do. And I have to, we have to do unlearning things first. I have to help right. them to release some of those old patterns and old expectations and attachments to postures and doing things right or doing things wrong. So there's a, quite an unlearning process that has to happen with them. So when someone shows up and they say, Sarah, just a disclaimer, I've never been to a yoga class before. I can't remember the last time that I have even gone, gone for an intentional movement class. It allows them to show up with such an open mind and such a level of curiosity that really helps them to have a more enriched experience, I find. So. Not to say that I don't like working with people who are also doing yoga, <laughs> but there's this really cool opportunity. There's something so special about helping to re helping someone to introduce themselves to their body for the first time. It's like such a special thing. Bet, like that. That's awesome. So, so with, with yoga, I mean, again, I, I'm sure everybody can benefit from this practice, but are there particular, you know, symptoms that really benefit from yoga or maybe conditions or disease process that you work with that, that see a lot of benefit from yoga therapy? Yeah. So I would say that most of the people who I work with are showing up with anxiety, depression, chronic pain, or have experienced some type of a traumatic event in their life. So that, you know what, for most of us, we can identify with at least one of those. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's break it down. I'd love to look, like break down each of those and talk mm -hmm. more about them. Let's start with, with anxiety, because I mean, honestly, I feel like that is a huge problem in our setting. I mean, we all struggle with that to some extent, but do you mind just tell, touching on, you know, what, what does anxiety mean to you? And then talk a little bit about what your approach is to help people manage that or deal with that? So just like you just asked me that question of what anxiety means to me, I always make sure to ask that to an individual, right? Because it's so, I think it can be quite subjective, right? There are textbook definitions of what that means, but a person's embodied experience of anxiety is always going to be different. And so I'll ask them, I'll say, what does anxiety feel like to you in, in your body, right? Because that's my, my tool is their body. And so I'll have them describe to me what they're, what they're experiencing, first of all. So 
commonly they'll describe it as tightness, as like a shakiness or a trembliness, as feeling kind of stuck, like a heaviness. And so then after they're able to describe it to me, then we'll talk about where they're feeling that in, in their body. And for a lot of people, it's chest or abdomen, sometimes in, in the throat as well. So to answer your question a little more directly about what it means to me, I think that a, a person who is presenting as anxious is, it really just means that their nervous system is in a state of hyperarousal, right? And so the information that they're taking in through their senses on some level is creating this this increase in their hyperarousal in their nervous system so they're having these physical manifestations of their heart racing or their stomach feeling like it's not or having trouble digesting or having trouble sleeping, um, having really intrusive thoughts, right? concerns about the past or concerns about the future. It's another thing that I think of when I, when I think about anxiety is it's taking us out of now, taking us out of the present moment. Because if I'm feeling anxious, I'm probably thinking about and analyzing something that I've, that I've done in the past, or I'm like freaking out and using words like what if about the future, right? What if da, 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 da. And so it's anything that I think that kind of takes us out of the present that makes us feel uneasy. Absolutely. And I'm sure you deal with a lot of patients. I mean, again, who are feeling that fight or flight response for a variety of different reasons, right? I mean, they could be related to relationships or related to finances or to poor health or you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And again, we see that a lot in practice too. It's where, you know, it's really hard for people's, for their body to heal when they're in that stuck state that you mentioned, when they're in that fight or flight response. So having strategies to, to really take them out of that or help them alleviate that stress is, is huge. So, so tell, do you mind talking a little bit about your approach with someone who's experiencing that anxious feeling? What would it look like working with you, you know, dealing with that, that symptom, you know, specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first thing that I try to do is to help them regulate their nervous system. Yeah. So we want to get back into that balanced state where they feel like they can tolerate experiences in a way that's not going to send them into that fight or flight response. And so I'll do that with them when they're in the session. So some techniques I'll do are to help them ground. So that could mean getting their body, as much of their body onto the floor as they can, right? Having that literal physical connection with the ground. There's also breathing practices that I'll use. So I'll try to help them lengthen out their exhale or to use their diaphragm in a very intentional way. And those deeper, slower, longer exhales are going to help them to shift into that parasympathetic seat. It's going to help them to regulate those experiences. And these are things that I can... I can share with them, right? So that they can do them on their, on their own. I've had a couple of clients who have, have reached out to me and said, Sarah, I'm on the ground. I'm lying on the floor, <laughs> right? These are things that they can do, not when you're driving, but when <laughs> you're, you know, at work and, and something's happening or when you're at home and kiddos are driving you crazy, whatever's yeah. going on, right? You can, you can lie on the floor or you can take a deep breath connect with your body because the body is really what's going to help us to come back to the present. Yeah. It's, it's with us right now. Like this breath I'm taking right now, right? I can feel a sensation of hand on my heart right now. And so that reconnecting to the present, I think is an important part of helping them manage what they're feeling. And it's probably something we should be doing multiple times a day, right? I mean, realistically, because it's just easy to get out. I mean, it just craziness of life 
you know, I think we all experience that to some extent on a daily basis. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try to, I call them awareness breaks, <laughs> like Good. taking awareness breaks throughout the course of a day, right? So it can be as little as three minutes or five minutes, once an hour or once every two hours. And I'll suggest to some clients to actually schedule that in. If I have a client who's in the corporate corporate world and they live their whole life right in front of their computer, they're inundated with these messages on their screen anyway. So I'll have them actually put it in their calendar so that it pops up and it gives them some sort of a reminder to, okay, get my body on the ground or okay, close my eyes and take just five slow, deep breaths, right? whatever it is to help them check back into the now and into their body. That's excellent. And everybody says, they don't, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have, I don't have, everybody's got time, you know, three minutes to, to do this every hour. I mean, that it's, it's easy enough to do is just dedicating yourself and hold yourself accountable and make it happen. I'm sure it makes a huge difference though. Yeah. And I think even, you know, for so many of us who wear a lot of different hats and in the business world and the professional world and our relationships and our family, it's so easy to put ourselves at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Of the check of the checklist, of the to-do list. And so helping people to reclaim their time and their energy for themselves, I think is <clears throat> is really powerful. And so even just the act of them putting that in their calendar can be kind of transformative for some people because they would never think to put in an appointment <laughs> for themselves. Right, right, right. And then you know what we see is that once they do that, they're able to give so much more to their family and to their loved ones, you know, when they prioritize their, their self-care over everything else. Awesome. Exactly. Well, do you mind talking a little bit about chronic pain? I know that that's another huge problem in our society for a lot of people and people are unfortunately aren't left with a lot of great options for that. A lot of times it's just surgery or medications, but I know there's tons of other alternative strategies. Is yoga something that could be very helpful for, for chronic pain? Yeah, I find that yoga therapy is incredibly powerful because it can help an individual to change the way that they relate to the pain. I, I will never make any claims that I'm doing anything to, you know, change physiologically or physically structures in their body that are going to create that. But what I can help them do is change the relationship in the way that they relate to the pain. So a lot of the times in chronic pain, people will start to their identity will start to get wrapped up in that, right? Like I, I am, as opposed to saying I am noticing or I'm experiencing. And so helping them to, to be able to perceive and be aware of the pain as something that they're experiencing, as opposed to something that's a part of themselves, I think is so incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, and even being able to notice the pain as just another sensation more objectively. Right. And so getting really aware and tuned in to exactly what that sensation is feeling like, bringing awareness to it and just sitting with that place in their body that's feeling uncomfortable. Because what can happen so often is that we then move into this really reactive state when, when the pain is happening. And then those anxious and intrusive thoughts can come back in like, this is never going to end. When is this going to stop? This is my forever now, right? And so if we can just learn to be with the sensation in our body as it's happening in that moment, accept it and be aware of it, then give gives it a little less power. Absolutely. I mean, I personally have had patients who have, you know, worked in yoga therapy has really been one of the, the biggest 
things that they personally say, even over drugs and other things to help them get their pain to another point and another, a better level. And I just think it's, it's so important to consider these, these things that are not only safe, but are going to help them in so many other ways too. So. Yeah. And I think that this is why it's such a great modality in addition to other things that people are doing, because all of the incredible supplements and medications that an individual is taking, if their body isn't in a state where they feel like they can take those and then accept them and they're just going to reject them, even if it's on an energetic level, they're not going to have the same potency and impact as opposed to them, their body feeling like it's in a more balanced, steady, calm state where they feel like they can really accept and receive that treatment, which they need. And so these, it marries really well with other modalities and treatment plans. So that's awesome. And I know you mentioned too, talk therapy. I'm, I'm sure even this works really well in addition to that too. Is that correct? I mean, you see that with a lot of your yeah. people you work with? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I usually, I will suggest that people, especially of course, of course, especially if there's trauma involved, that they additionally have a talk therapist. And I, and I have a lot of talk therapists who refer to me and I refer back to because it's such an important kind of symbiotic relationship, right? So an individual can go to their talk therapist and can uncover some of these really important biases or thought patterns. And then they can come to me and start to embody that, right? And see how that feels in their body and start to reconnect in the present moment to how that's showing up in their body. Or if something big comes up with me in a body work session, they can go back to their talk therapist and like really break that down in a very heady cognitive way. So it's this kind of dance back and forth between the body and the mind, the body and the mind. And it works, it works beautifully with talk therapy. So I love when people also have a talk therapist. I think, I think all of us need. I was thinking the same thing. I honestly tell everybody that I think is that I think we should all be in therapy no matter what. (laughs) I mean, just the world we live in, right? I mean, we're all bombarded with way more stress than we should be. Our world is toxic. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of things that are working against us. So we need to you know do our best to get ahead of it. And I, I think that, you know, we see that, especially with our patients, like that the stress is the, one of the, the toughest things for people to combat and to get control of. But once they do, it's just amazing to see what the body can do when it's not it's stuck in that, that fight or flight state, like you mentioned. That's huge, right? Especially when you start thinking about people who are experiencing chronic stress over the course of years and years and years of their life. Right. They've had these crazy high levels of stress hormones surging through their body constantly for years on end. It's so detrimental to our system, right? And I mean, right. I never want to, I never want to scare my clients in a first session, but I am not shy about being very straightforward with them about just how dangerous it is to have really high levels of stress. Yeah. How harmful that can be for their body. So. This is not like a woo-woo practice, right? This is an important real thing. We yeah. get our stress under control. We have to help our body to return to that balanced state in our nervous system. So important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned trauma. I would love to dive into that a little bit. I think that's a huge problem for so many people and they don't even recognize that it's influencing them. But do you mind just touching on you know, what trauma means to different people. Again, I know there's yeah. some different types of trauma that people should be aware of and just maybe how that can influence their health. I mean, we see it clinically in the office where, you know, people with a lot of debilitating chronic diseases have a significant traumatic, uh, have a history of, of trauma. We, we know in the literature, there's a strong correlation again between disease processes and chronic trauma, but I would love to just have you kind of touch on that because I know that you're really passionate about helping people 
you through that? I think it's something that everyone in one way or another has experienced traumatic events in their life, right? And so I think of trauma as, as really anything that feels like it was too much for our system to handle in too short a period of time, too much too soon to break it down in like a very simple way. Trauma is anything for our system that was too much too soon. And the way that we perceive trauma or the way that we experience trauma is so individual and it's so subjective. So even if there were several individuals at the same event, each person's body and nervous system is going to experience that differently. And so that that's going to be influenced by past experiences in that individual's life, by core beliefs that are part of that system, that person's system. It's also going to be influenced by generational trauma. So we know now in epigenetic that generational trauma can absolutely get carried down and affect and affect our genes and our DNA. And so all of that is going to it's going to be a part of how an individual perceives an event as traumatic or not as traumatic. So it's really not up to us to look at someone and say, you know, well, I'm not sure why that was such a big deal to you, or I'm not sure why you're so upset about that. Right? It's not not up to us to to understand that. And then within trauma, you know, the literature often talks about it as you know, big T trauma or little T trauma. So these you know big T or capital T traumas are things that we can think of as a catastrophic event or something that has felt really debilitating. So war, any type of abuse. Terrorism, death, right? Loss of life, right? These really big catastrophic life events. And these, these single events on their own can change the trajectory and the course of someone's life. And right? it can have a really long-term effect on their nervous system. And these events and experiences can actually get lodged in their body, which is why the body work is so important. But then these little T traumas are traumas that we're experiencing all throughout all throughout the course of a lifetime, right? Even before you have memories, right? There may have been things that have happened to you in the first few months of life that you don't really remember, but your body does. You might not in your brain remember it consciously, but your body remembers. And so these micro traumas, they add up and they compound and they add up and compound all throughout the course of a lifetime. And they can be just as debilitating as a single big T trauma. But I find that with the little t traumas, a lot of us question if it was quote unquote bad enough. We have this added experience of shame of what could be so much worse or this person had it so much worse. And so on top of our body and our nervous system's reaction to the primary traumatic event, now we're layering on shame and sometimes self-hatred and guilt about the way that our body perceives that experience. And that is also very detrimental. So we have to do some unlearning and re-patterning about those thoughts, uncovering, you know, where, where is that guilt coming from? Where is that shame coming from? Who's, who's saying that, right? Whose story is that? Is that, that your story? Is that a story that you learned from someone over life? And then helping them through the body work to, to metabolize and release that trauma in their body. Yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, we're going through a collective trauma right now in the world. Yeah, sure. Right? With the, I mean, everything, right? The pandemic, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. the climate, the pol politics, 
you know, all the gun violence right now. So we're going through collective traumas as an entire society. And then on a smaller level, we still have our own lives and our own personal experiences that can feel traumatic. So everyone's got it. And for some people, the first time that they can frame a past experience as traumatic, it's huge for them because they're able to really validate and acknowledge the pain that came from that. And once they're aware of the pain, then we can start to make some of those changes. But that awareness is such an important place start to just being able to acknowledge that, that, yeah, that happened to me. It was not okay. And it was not my fault. It is the first step, first part. Absolutely. And I'm sure this, I mean, again, it's not a quick fix, right? I mean, this is going to take time to figure out and to, to deal with. I mean, it's probably something that you have to do continuously because we're, again, constantly being bombarded by things. But I'm sure when, you know, it, it just starting to address these issues, or these problems that they face in the past can just be extremely powerful on so many levels. Mm. Yeah, it does take time. And so if, if someone is a brand new client and they are they've shared with me an event or an experience that felt traumatic for them. I say that to them, you know, I say, this isn't a quick fix. This isn't something that you can do once or twice. It really does take, take time, right? It takes time to unlearn. It takes time to repattern. It takes time to have that release and transformation in the body. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. And uh, no, thank you for what you're doing with that. I mean, it's, we need to, Again, and sometimes I tell everybody, it takes an army to get, to get us well, right? I mean, we, we, it really does. It's, it's not, there's no cowboy shows out there. I mean, we need to be hitting our health and our stress from, from different angles to really achieve the best results. So Yeah, and I love when people show up with like a wellness team. You know, right. you've got all these different <laughs> players on their team that can support all of these different aspects of yourself. And like right. the more, the better. And I, and I love working and collaborating with other practitioners and other modalities because we need so much help from these different angles. We need to yeah. be supported in these different aspects of ourselves. And I don't think it's ever too much. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Well, is there, is there anybody who would say wouldn't benefit from yoga therapy? I mean, who, who would not be a candidate, you know, for this type of work? I think anybody who doesn't want to do hard work. Yeah. 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 Someone who's looking for a quick fix, someone who's looking for me to fix them is not going to be, I'm not the right fit for them. Yeah. Someone who's looking for me to tell them exactly what to do, how to make everything better. I'm not the right fit for them. It certainly takes time and it's harder to do the self-inquiry and the self-work, but it's so much more meaningful and it lasts so much longer. When you can really learn how to tap into your body's innate wisdom and use that to create transformative change, as opposed to relying on something external or outside of self. Like our bodies are so intelligent and I find that they really do know how to heal and how to keep us safe. It's just a matter of remembering that and accessing that. That's awesome. Now, one of of the things that, you know, I've run into in the past is I think people have misconceptions about some, you know, alternative practices. You know, one of the things that I know I've come across with my patients is they're worried about, you know, certain practices 
interfering with their own spiritual beliefs or their own religious beliefs. Do you mind just talking a little bit about that? Because I think it's so important for people to understand, uh, you know, that you're not going to be interfering with that. Yeah, it's not going to be offending people or you're not going to be diving into things that you, they, that are going to make them uncomfortable, essentially. Yeah, it's hugely important. It's actually one of the questions that I put in my intake form. Okay. The question says, how does faith slash religion slash spirituality show up in your life? So it's this very open-ended question for them to answer in whatever way feels comfortable for them. Because I think that however, however you identify it, having some connection to anything outside of yourself is meaningful because it helps to put the world and our experiences into perspective. And so whether, for some people that's nature, right? Their connection to nature is incredibly healing. For some people, it means God. For some people, it means the universe or higher self. So it's not up to me. And again, I'm not here to teach them about a specific path. I want to know what's important to them because that knowing that is going to be an incredibly supportive part of their process. So I'm going to be really careful in my coaching and my questioning and my dialogue to support them in their religious or faith-based or spiritual experience because that's going to ultimately help them to integrate the work so much better if they can use it like through their lens as opposed to me forcing my lens on them, if that makes sense. I love that. I know that's, that's perfect. That's a, and I think that's exact. I think, I think a lot of people do think about that, you know, so it's an important to, to bring that up. That's great. Now, you know, you've already mentioned, touched on this a couple of times about, you know, the importance of breath work. You know, I would love to, I just think that's, it's such an important concept. And I think people, again, are kind of under the conception, the misconception that everybody, we breathe, I breathe, everybody breathes, you know, it's a nat, it's natural. Why, why, how can I do it wrong? Or, you know, why is it so important that I put extra attention here? Do you mind just touching on that? Like really what, what do people do wrong with breathing or, in, and why is that so important to overcome, you know, to help optimize different aspects of health and, and stress? I think one of the most fascinating things about breath is that, you know, within our, auto, our autonomic nervous system, it's, and largely it controls automatic functions, right? Like, heart rate and blood pressure and pupil dilation. So those are not things that I can consciously just snap my fingers and change. But I can, in the snap of a finger, change my breath. So the breath is the only automatic function of the autonomic nervous system that we can consciously control and make a shift in. And so within that, we can then use breath work to either shift their system and upregulate up it or shift their system and downregulate it. I find that most people are needing to downregulate, but every once in a while I have someone. So if someone is really stuck in like a depressive episode or a depressive state, I'll do breath work with them to help them like get a little more revved up and to help them upregulate in a safe window. But for most people, they're needing to come back down. So when, when we're breathing all day long, we're going about our day and we're not paying attention to it. A lot of us are taking quite shallow breaths. So for those listening, I have my hand on my, on my chest and my upper ribs. And a lot of us are going to experience breath only there. So we're feeling it in our neck and our collarbones and our upper shoulders and our chest. We have so much more capacity for breath down in the abdomen and in the ribs, in the bottom ribs. And so we can, when we can engage with our diaphragm and really move the breath into our belly, it's going to help us because it helps to stimulate the vagus nerve. And that's what's going to help us shift into that parasympathetic state. And for a lot of people, 
that is hard to do. So I've taken for granted over the 12 years I've been doing yoga that I can belly breathe, no problem. But a lot of people, that is a very foreign concept, right? To try to, to try to guide and send the breath down into the abdomen can be quite a challenging thing to do. And so having coaching and also having tactile feedback, having a hand there, having a block there, having a blanket on their belly is really going to help them to identify that movement there. Um, so that is kind of like the broad way that I, I use breath work. And then there are so many, in yoga, we call them pranayama. There's so many pranayama practices, hundreds of them. But I find that most people don't, we don't need to get into the, into the fancy, fancy, detailed ones. We just need to learn how to breathe into our belly. It's really that simple. It's not simple, but. <laughs> That's a skill they can take with them for the rest of their life, right? And it's going to benefit them, you know, moving forward forever. So that, that's, that's yeah. great. Well, that's, exactly. and it's something that you have with you all the time, right? It's not right. like you need to go, go back home because you forgot your breath. Like it's always with you. Yeah. You just need to, to remember to use it. Exactly. <laughs> I love, you know, now even on all, all the technology, I think it's a, a blessing and a curse at the same time, but you know, they, it's funny. We we're being reminded to breathe on our watches and stuff these days. Cause everybody, nobody does it right. Hardly, you know, so it's, it's just, it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even for people who are endurance athletes, like helping them learn how to breathe properly, it's gonna, it's gonna help your metabolism. It's gonna help your muscular endurance. It's gonna help build more strength. So there are all of these really wonderful physiological benefits in addition to the mental benefits of really learning how to breathe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I would love for you to, you know, share, if you don't mind, like just an example of maybe a patient you worked with, you know, someone who was struggling, what they were struggling with and really what the process looked like working with you to help them get to a better place. You have any mm -hmm. examples? Yeah. Put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I was working with an individual over the course of probably two and a half or three months. And this individual came to me because they had suffered through some pretty significant phys physical and sexual abuse. And so there was some very significant trauma. They were also had been working with a talk therapist and their talk therapist had recommended doing some sort of body work. So for this, individual, their body felt like a very unsafe place to be. Um, sensations felt like too much. And so this person was frequently disassociating. So they, they felt like they were not in their body. Um, and that disassociation really is one of the ways that our body tries to keep us safe. It's part of the, part of the, re the freeze response is dissociation because it, it's a way of saying this is too much for you. I want to get you out of here. Right. But even after that traumatic event has passed, we can still have those feelings of dissociation. So this person really wanted to learn how to be back in their body in a way that felt tolerable and in a way that felt safe. And so for the first part of what I do in in-person sessions can involve hands-on therapeutic touch. And for this, and I'll of course always ask for consent in this individual made it very clear in the first session that they did not want to be touched, that they did not want any hands-on work. And it was also too much for them even to close their eyes. And so a lot of the work in the beginning of our time together 
was helping them to find more tolerable windows of body exploration. And it would be very short periods of time to start, maybe 30 seconds, and then we would talk about it. And then we do another 30 seconds and talk about it. And over time, that period of that duration of time, that window increased and increased. And it was our maybe three quarters of the way into working together, this person was able to tolerate hands-on touch, which was huge for them because it allowed them to be in really in control of that experience. And so much about trauma is feeling like we don't have a say and it's not in our control. And so giving the individual back this autonomy and giving them back their choice was hugely transformational for them. And then by the end of working together, they were able to tolerate tolerate hands-on touch. They were also able to verbalize and identify what their body needed in a given moment to say, I need to change positions or I need to stay here for longer, which was huge for them. And they were able to see really significant changes in their relationships. They also weren't able to go back to work in person at the beginning and were able to go back into an office wow. at the end of our work together, which was really huge. Um, yeah, so that was a a very rewarding process for me to be able to witness their journey through that work was was really an honor. Yeah, absolutely, that's amazing. And then I'm sure there's so many people out there who would benefit from that who are really just kind of getting brushed under the rug or th their true needs aren't being addressed because unfortunately in our medical our current medical world is very heavily based on medications or surgeries or some of these things. So, I mean, again, reaching outside of the box and addressing these emotional and spiritual things. I mean, for, I can't even imagine how much her quality of life has changed since, since do going through this and working with you. So keep up the good work. You're doing some great things. And I would love to, I always like to, to end with just a practical tip that our listeners can implement to help improve how they feel or optimize their health. What would, with the exception of like just the basic exercise and eating right, what are some, some, what is a good tip that you would recommend to people to, to get their state of wellness to a better place? So I often will think about and, and talk about with my clients, the body as its own like personified individual. So I'll talk about the body as almost as a person, right? And so I think it can be really powerful for anyone out there listening to check in with their body as it as if it was a pers uh, personified individual outside of self and ask your body questions, ask your body, what do you need right now? Or ask your body, how can I support you? Or ask your body, um, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And so really giving yourself this opportunity to check in with your body in a very different way, right? Like we live with our bodies, of course, all the time and walking around with us and right, our meat suit, skin and bones, organs with us all the time. But learning how to communicate with it in such an intentional way, I think, can be really meaningful to learn to listen to some of those subtle sensations. So a way that I like to do that is I'll often put a hand on my heart and I'll close my eyes and I'll take a deep breath. And sometimes I'll say it out loud, but sometimes it's silently and I'll just say, hey, body, what do you need? And sometimes it'll tell me that it needs to move or that it just needs a bigger breath or that I need to be really still or that I need to drink water. <laughs> <Are you a cracker? laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And then you need to listen to it, right? And and make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Not ignore it. Well, great. Well, this has been absolutely phenomenal. And I guess, again, I just love the work you're doing. And so for our listeners who want to learn more about you and your practice or who are interested in working with you, what would be the best way for them to reach out and get in touch? Yeah, my, my website is quintessentialyoga.com and uh, all the ways to contact me and email and social is all on there. So website would be a good place to start. Perfect. And we'll make sure we put all of that in the show notes. And uh, again, this is, I just really do appreciate your time and sharing your message and uh, Hope to have you back on the show at a later date and, you know, again, reach out if you need anything at all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. 